listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Bauckham. Welcome to the podcast. This is the Save the Marriage podcast, and right now we are talking about how you save your marriage in the midst of infidelity. Whether it's you know at the front side of that or on the back side when it's over, how do you recover? We started this uh, last week in the last session when I talked a good bit about emotional affairs and kind of the front side of the affairs. What do, what do you do at that point when maybe it hasn't quite gone over to that, that physical place of being a physical affair, but more the emotional affair, which is actually a whole lot harder to identify. It's easy to be able to point and say, there was physical contact there, there was sex there, there was something that was physical involved. But what do you do if it's not that, right? That's what we talked about last time. Now, I did have a late uh, conversation with somebody who asked about, you know, what about if I just had a, a one-night stand? In other words, yes, it was physical, but no, there wasn't anything involved. In fact, according to this person, what was involved was alcohol and a sense of not being in control and maybe even being tricked into it. And the fact is that when you break the bounds of a relationship, whether you mean to or not, you have done something to allow that to happen. You've allowed the boundaries to be broken. So as much as people would like to kind of play off the, maybe it was just a one-time thing or something like that, the fact is the damage is done because you crossed a barrier that your partner didn't expect you to cross. So I just want to say right off the bat back that uh, when there is that physical affair, the, the trust is going to be ruptured. That's just the fact. And so here's the problem when I was having this conversation. The person was trying to convince me that it shouldn't count as an affair. The person was trying to convince me that maybe it wasn't such a big deal. And the fact is that whenever we break the boundaries of our relationship, it's a big deal. When we put ourselves into a situation where those boundaries could be broken, it's a big deal. It tells us something about how we're not protecting the relationship. Okay, so just a reminder, if you haven't done it, I do have a book. If you haven't grabbed it yet, it's about how to recover from affairs. And it deals with both sides of the equation. You know, if you're willing to face the fact that you're the one who committed infidelity, if that's the case, I have a chapter in there about what you do from there. If you're the one who suffered infidelity, I have a chapter in there on what to do. And it's actually designed so that both people can go through it together or separately, begin to understand what was behind it, what was causing the situation that would allow an affair to take place. And then how to heal from that. And it does cover both emotional and physical affairs. So that resource is available to you. Easy way to find it. Just go to theaffairbook.com. That's theaffairbook.com. You can grab it both in uh, ebook version or in print version. The nice thing about an ebook version these days is nobody knows what you're reading. There's a lot of evidence that shows that uh, for a while, ebooks were on the rise. And what somebody finally realized is the ebooks were on the rise when there was a bestseller that was something that maybe not everybody wanted to uh, know, anybody to know what they were reading. When Fifty Shades of Grey came out, 
people were putting it on their Kindle and they were reading it there. And so suddenly there was a boom in eBooks that made us think that, you know, eBooks were uh, up and coming. And then after that craze passed, it turns out that physical books are still in place. So you can get it either way. If you don't want anybody to know, check it out as an eBook format. If uh, you just want to share it with your spouse, you can also grab the printed version. Okay, so let's jump into this. So uh, the first one, uh, and by the way, uh, since this is uh, talking about a sensitive issue, no names. So let's just start off with the letter K, wrote in and said um, she didn't even know her husband was having an affair. And uh, then he got uh, very depressed, even suicidal. uh, And so they decided that they were going to work on it. So they did lots of stuff removing themselves from, from the situation. But as it turned out, the contact continued with the other person. So case is, if your spouse has had an affair but still wants to stay in the marriage, what can the faithful spouse do, if anything, when the contact with the affair partner continues? Okay, so uh, there is a basic rule that I have that we don't have the capacity of, crawling, of controlling other people's behavior. I mean, I just believe that deep down that we don't have that capacity. Now, we can react, right? We can have our own internal boundary about that, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, where we're not willing to put up with that. Unfortunately, boundaries are going to have consequences. For instance, if you say, if you have contact with that other person, then our marriage is over, and they have contact with the other person, it's only a boundary when you follow through, and that might not be exactly what you want. So what can you do instead? If you're able to continue working on the relationship, you work on the relationship, because here is the biggest piece of this puzzle. The two pieces that have to fall in place for an affair, for a typical affair, there are some others that are based more in addiction uh, or other uh, kind of pathologies, but the typical affair comes because there are two things that fall together, one of them being a lack of connection and the other being a lack of boundaries. Now, the lack of connection, it kind of takes both people to be a part of a disconnected relationship. One person can't be like feeling super connected and the other person feeling completely disconnected. So both people are a part of that disconnection. Now, I want to be clear about this. I want to make sure that people understand what I'm saying. The fact that you are in a disconnected relationship, the fact that both of you have created a disconnected relationship, likely just by the fact that you hit the pause button and... Paul's button doesn't work very well in relationships, but the fact that you are in a disconnected relationship, that's the responsibility of both people. That's the first element. But there are lots of marriages that go through periods of disconnection. In fact, every marriage is going to have more and less connection depending on what point. You might be busy with something and you just don't have the energy to be as connected as you'd like to be. Maybe there's something going on between you that leads to further disconnection. And so there are lots of reasons why couples get disconnected. That's for both people. The question is whether both of you are willing to hold the boundaries that protect the relationship. For instance, not letting anyone else get close and certainly close enough to invade the privacy of a marriage, the boundaries of a marriage. Now, that's the piece that is the responsibility of the person who committed the affair. It's not even the responsibility of the person with whom they committed it. It's their responsibility. It's that person. It's your spouse's or you if you're the one who committed the infidelity. 
to have protected the relationship. There's nowhere you can point that except for at yourself or the offending person appointed at themselves. So those two pieces have to be in place. So what does that mean, okay? So what that means is that you can continue to work on the connection even if that contact continues. Now, if that contact is very clear, that is when you continue to ask for the contact to stop. But as I said, you don't have control over that. You can't make somebody stop the, the contact. There are just too many ways in our world this way, the way it is, the digital world, to be able to stop it at every turn. There are so many ways to hide connection. There's so many ways of continuing that connection. And your task is not to become the connection police. Your task is not even to be the connection investigator. Your task is to figure out if you're con- willing to continue being the spouse, the connecting spouse, to work on that. There's a simple reason why. Part of what you're trying to heal is that reason for the affair, the disconnection that led to at least a, a, a half of the equation. Yes, the boundaries are very important, but again, and this is something that I had to clarify for a couple of people, boundaries, you can hold yourself, right? That if you, for instance, I can make sure that I don't put our relationship at risk by how I manage my life, but I can't make my wife do that. I can't make my spouse do that. You can't make your spouse do that. You can make sure that you monitor your boundaries and protect them. Now, you do also have your personal boundaries, right? That's a different matter, what you will not let someone do to you. So it is entirely possible that you'll say, yeah, I'm not going to put up with that. If they're going to continue, then I'm not going to continue. Then I need to be out of this relationship. That is a personal boundary. There is a consequence to that, which means that if you want to continue working on the relationship, that's the place where you decide to work on the connection and not get caught up on the fact that they might still be having contact. Now, that doesn't mean you just ignore it. If it's happening in front of you or if you have clear reasons to know it, you can call that. You can make note of that and say, hey, I think this is not fair and inappropriate and ask for them to stop that. Just recognize that you can't make that happen. So the big piece is if contact continues... You have to A, decide if you're willing to continue your efforts, and B, if you are, to continue working to build the connection so that you heal what's there or what hasn't been there. Okay, so M is the next one. Say my husband had an affair uh, and then wanted to come back and work on things, agreed to do some specific things uh, for both of them as a couple and him, him by himself. Uh, And he seemed regretful and apologized, but he never kept his word on the learning part of what he agreed to do. He did do some of the connection things, uh, but you say, I never knew how to hold him accountable for what he wasn't doing, but things still got a little better. But the hurt was never addressed, and he just expected me to get over it. And you say, now he denies that what he did was infidelity, and I just need to get over it. So one of the things that often happens is people begin to rewrite history, especially when they they know that what they did wasn't best. They often re-remember it in a way that makes it less um, pointed at them. You know, we often have a tendency of saying, oh, it's not my fault, right? Something else calls that. Or you're overreacting. It's not as big a deal as you think. So those two two things are very typical. You say, I don't feel bitter about what he did anymore. I just want him to keep his word so I can trust him again. 
So you say, what kind of things can I do to hold him accountable? Well, that's a tough one. Um, and you say that you have a hard time with the boundaries thing. I do have uh, some podcasts uh, on uh, the on boundaries that I include uh, at Thrivology.com, ThrivologyPodcast.com. I also have some, uh, a couple of times I've talked about boundaries uh, on the Save the Marriage podcast, and I have extensive trainings on uh, that in the VIP program. I talk about boundaries and standards. So basically, boundaries are what you will not let someone do to you. Standards is what you expect of yourself. Many times we cross those up and we try to put standards on other people, what we expect them to do, which is always a failure, and forget the boundaries is what we won't let them do. Okay, so how do you hold him accountable? Well, that's a difficult thing. If you're in a partnership, accountability is based on somebody agreeing to be held accountable, that they hold themselves accountable to it. And so it makes it very hard for that. So one of the things I want to kind of note here is this, um, you just want him to keep his word so he can, you can trust him again. So let me, let's talk just for a minute about what often happens in the aftermath of an affair when a spouse uh, begins to uh, want the a spouse to um, kind of get over it, right? To just stop being worried about these things, to let go of it. So where does that come from? Well, usually it comes from a place of shame. One of the things that happens for people who commit infidelity and come back to the relationship is they often look back in shame on what they did. Now, there's another piece that's happening at the same time, which is the person who suffered the affair has a need to process it. At least it feels like processing it. And so they go over it and over it and over it, thinking that if they finally get all of the details, then everything will be okay. And the fact is that more details really doesn't get you over it. And it really usually isn't even processing it. So then there's a tension between two people, one person who wants to move on and the other who wants to somehow find some reparation in that. In reality, both people want to move on. It's just how they see the next hump. One person feels the need to go through through what happened and the other wants to just get back to what's going on. Understand that that comes from a place of shame many times. In fact, very often the shame is what's in control. And so the person doesn't want to, you know, keep going over it and over it again. To me, it's, it's kind of like, um, the feeling, uh, you know, when maybe a pet messes up on a rug and, and people want to kind of hold their pet's nose in it, and, and remind them of what they did. I mean, the pet usually at that point is so confused, they don't know what to do. And they don't understand what's going on, right? And so the same thing kind of happens with spouses. When somebody feels like they're continually caught in a frame of shame, where they're continually held to that shameful place, they don't feel like they can get out of it and continue to kind of go back into their own place of hurt. So I just want to say, just generally speaking, many times when there is this conflict between one person wanting to talk through and uh, what they believe to be process and the other person wanting to move on, many times what is going on is they're at odds with how they move forward. It's not that one wants to move forward and the other doesn't. It's that they really don't know how to. And so part of that process, it makes it very difficult to find some, some clarity about that. Okay, so let's continue on. Um, and this is for C. And you say, um, after discovering my husband's affair, he's finally agreed that he wants to try and work on creating a better relationship and no longer talks about divorce. 
but his actions don't match his words. He refuses to kiss me, connect, or engage in intimacy, said he's trying to process his feelings about the other woman and fall back in love with me. And you say, I'm hurt and confused and wondering if this seems normal after an affair. And the fact is that it is normal. So part of what's going on is you have a need for reassurance, right? I mean, you want to get back to that place where you have connection and you're, you're moving through it. And one of the things that's very difficult for people to understand is that the spouse who committed the adultery had a relationship that they are now trying to move beyond. And to think about this in two different ways. Whenever something that we were uh, a part of that was somehow fulfilling something in our lives goes away, there is a tendency for it to feel like a grief. And, And a lot of people don't want to acknowledge the fact that the loss of an affair can be a point of grief for the person who has decided to leave the, the affair or maybe didn't even get a choice. They had to leave the affair. There's still a grief associated. And yes, I know you say, but it's an inappropriate relationship. But our brain doesn't process that. It only sees the loss. And so one piece of that is to figure out how to process loss that you likely feel guilty about and shamed about. And that's the task for that person to figure out how to move through that. So it's a very confusing time for actually both people. It includes being a confusing time for the person who had the affair. I know we don't want to face that, but that's the reality. So it is absolutely normal for many times for somebody who committed the affair to still have a sense of grief and of loss of coming out of that. The other piece that you want to notice is that sometimes they're still not trusting what's going on in the relationship. They're not trusting that the connection can be rebuilt, so they don't want to enter into it. And then the other piece that is in play here is the fact that at the point of an affair, it's bound in infatuation. There are lots of terms people use, but infatuation makes sense to most people. Some people call it the affair fog. Other people call it limerence. But in in actuality, all we're describing is infatuation, that chemical reaction that makes you feel such passion, such powerful passion. And then when that's over, you're left with a letdown, sometimes even to the point where it feels like you're missing your hit of your favorite drug. We don't like to acknowledge that, but that's the reality of how we're wired. And so then what happens is a spouse comes back to the relationship and they're comparing infatuation with a long-term relationship, which is very unfair. And yet that's what they're, they're kind of processing through. So it is natural for this to be going on. The question is whether the two of you can sit down and have a conversation about how to move back into relationship and connection given all of that. Uh, that's the, the real task is to figure out how can you uh, reconnect and, and agree on how you're going to move through that reconnection. Okay, so the next one is uh, from uh, T, who says, it's been a year and a half since my husband's affair. Uh, and he said, prior to the affair, there were other instances of infidelity over a period of 10 years, generally a lot of resentment, disrespect from on his part. I remain blissfully and ignorantly unaware. And because of all that's going on. So we move down and you say, I understand we can't make someone change or do the work or even apologize, but how on earth do you move forward when you are with someone who has lied and cheated so convincingly and without any apparent remorse over such a long period of time? I am profoundly afraid 
Uh, and so the basically, um, you say, can you or how might you future-proof your marriage after a major crisis? So interestingly, T, the way you future you, you affair-proof a marriage, whether it's before or after, is to make sure that you keep your eyes on the connection, that the two of you commit to working on the connection and to talk about it when that connection is not where it needs to be. When somebody is no longer feeling fulfilled by that, it's time to have a conversation about how can you get back to that place. This is true before or after. Because unless there is the pathology that I mentioned earlier, some people are addicted to sex or to relationships or even the drama of affairs, and that's a little bit outside of the kind of the the day-to-day affair, if you will, the normal range of affairs and relationships. And the normal, the typical, it's about that disconnection. So if you work on rebuilding and maintaining the connection, you end up working on making sure you're relationship is affair-proof. The second piece, obviously there are two pieces that cause an affair, and the second piece is to have some agreements on the boundaries both of you agree to do to manage that. So this is true when you're trying to rebuild trust. At some point, you have to decide how you're going to rebuild the connection and agree upon the boundary so that you can trust it. You know, trust is an interesting word. Um, we oftentimes kind of have this um, mystery about how it's built. It's basically by the other person doing trustworthy things and we choosing to take that step into trust. Let's say I'm, I'm building a bridge. I build the bridge and for a while I walk across it and it holds me just fine and, and I'm not worried about it. And one day it collapses. Well, if I just kind of put it back up the way I had it before, I'm probably not going to trust it. I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to have to do to reinforce what was there before to make it stronger so that I can trust it, so that I can believe that it's going to hold my weight when I go across. It's the same kind of thing whenever we're trying to build trust. We have to figure out what do we have to do. If it hasn't worked before, what do we have to do to reinforce it so that we can trust it? So it's not just about how can I trust my spouse, it's about how can I trust the relationship that we're building. Can I see that both of us are taking the steps necessary to reinforce what wasn't strong enough the first time, the connection that wasn't strong enough the first time, the level of boundaries that we had in place that wasn't strong enough the first time. Can we begin to work through that again? So those are the pieces. I mean, trust in in the end is a gift, We have to decide when we're going to give it to the person we're going to trust. There are some people who no matter what the other person does, they're not going to trust them. Then there are some people who no matter what the other person does, they'll just trust them again. Somewhere we've got to decide whether we make the gift too expensive or too cheap. And and you're the one who has to figure that out for yourself on this piece. But the question I would start with is, what do we need to do in order to have reinforced what we had before to make sure that I trust that, I trust the relationship, and then that I trust, we trust each other. Okay, so, uh, Kay, uh, let's see, you talk about um, a major roadblock uh, is your husband's uh, relationship with a a daughter. Um, So let's talk about that just for a minute, about how that fits in with the other family members. So one of the things that you you say is you talk about saving a marriage in a bubble just as a couple, 
But our kids are affecting the process simply by being part of the family. How can we work through saving our marriage with the often negative influences from our our children? And let me just expand this to our family members. So this is one of the clear reasons why I suggest that people do everything they can to uh, mitigate the knowledge, to make sure there are no, no leaks in the information. Because it's so hard afterwards to clean up. And it doesn't matter if it's a child who finds it out or a parent or a a parent-in-law or a sibling or friends that find out. The difficult thing is re-entering into the relationship because they tend to be protective of whoever they see as being the injured one, the damaged one. So... Part of what you want to do on the front side, and I'm saying this you know, after the fact on this particular case, but for everybody, is to not go tell the world about what happened in your relationship. I know it's very tempting uh, when you're in the angry, revengeful place to not allow those facts out. But, and sometimes they do slip out. Sometimes uh, somebody intercepts a text or sees an email or sees somebody out somewhere or somehow finds out. But as much as we can, um, I, I believe that you keep whatever's going on in the marriage within the marriage. And then if it gets out, what do you do? Well, um, you're correct that there is something of a shame spiral, but I would like to suggest to you that in this case, it's not on you. This is up to him to decide how he wants to tackle it. The first thing is for him to make apologies for what happened. The second thing is to try to talk about what he's doing to make things right. One of the things that you have going on right now is that you have a a teenage daughter who is all about fair, right? All about decency. And that's that stage in development. It's hard for somebody at that age to see uh, areas of gray. Things are either good or they're bad. You know, it's either a good day or it's a bad day. There's either, either a friend or an enemy. And so in this case, it's hard to understand the gray area of the fact that there was something going on in the marriage before the affair that was about both of you. That's the gray area. Now, part of what can be talked about with the daughter is the importance, the lessons learned, right? The importance of saying, you know, one of the things that we learned is along the way, we took our eyes off of the marriage. And that was both of us doing that. Yes, each of us are responsible for our actions, but we both are responsible for that piece, to let her see that there might be some gray area in there. That doesn't mean that you have to blame yourself as much as to acknowledge that you are part of the relationship that got into trouble. But the actual repair work is unfortunately always up to the person who committed that. that so in, in essence, the bubble's already been popped for her, so the question is how he is willing to work through that uh, with her and uh, what that requires from her. To simply ask, hey, what do I need to do for us to get back on, on the good place? But I just want to be clear, you can't make that happen. If he goes into a shame spiral, you can't stop that from happening. That's his question. Okay, so if I continue on. Um, so this is the, the interesting one. Um, it's about getting the other person out of your head, right? So um, you say, it's been two years since I learned of my uh, husband's affair, and you go through some of the details. You say, I found out about the scope of the affair when I set him down last year on my first big day. Uh, He was totally removed from her life, but I'm stuck obsessing over her. I think one reason is I had no closure. 
so it's interesting how we believe in this myth of closure. And I say myth because I've seen it happen both ways. Somebody saying, you know, I think if I just had one more meeting with my affair partner, I could get some closure. Or somebody saying, you know, if I just knew all the facts, I could get some closure. You know, if I just knew uh, how to confront that other person, just to, just to say, hey, I know what you did, you know, to call them on it, I would get some closure. In reality, closure happens when we do the closure work. It's the process of forgiving. And it's not easy, for sure. Um, but that's our own task, to let that go. When you're obsessing about something... It's a kind of a normal reaction in the short term. If you continue to do it for a long period of time, there's a part of that where you're actually um, entertaining the thought. You know, I always find that to be an interesting phrase. Uh, we entertain thoughts, right? We get stuck on them. We keep going over them. And as we do that, we give them more power, more strength, and we make it seem as if that's what we need to be doing. So part of our closure process for ourselves is to decide that maybe there's some pieces there that haven't been forgiven. If you haven't, if you, and let me just say this very easily uh, or very quickly, it's not easy to just say, oh, I forgive, right? In fact, I have a six-step process for forgiving, and the first one is saying, I forgive. But that's step one. There are five other steps where you have to walk through and move through and think through those, that process. If you're interested in following those steps, I've written a book on uh, forgiving. It's called The Forgive Process. Uh, The Forgive Process goes through those six steps. You can find that at theforgiveprocess.com, theforgiveprocess.com. And by the way, you can also get it wherever you like to buy your books. If they don't have it in stock, they can order it for you. Uh, So again, the, the first book, Recovering from the Affair, if you go ask for it from the bookstore. The other is The Affair, I'm sorry, The Forgive Process. And that will give you the tools you need in order for you to bring the closure you need. When it's in your head, right, and when it's staying in our head and stays alive, it tells us that we still have another piece for us to release. And for me, forgiving is the process of letting go and being willing to move on. Okay, so um, another one comes in and says, the old ghosts are coming back. How do you handle the anxiety that your partner might leave you again? Uh, One way to turn the anxiety into positive is to say, okay, what can I do to work in a positive way to help our relationship? What can I do that would help move this to a better place? And so when the process, you kind of turn your anxiety into something useful. You find a way uh, of uh, working through that. Now, the other piece is that sometimes we all have some anxiety that just hangs in there somewhere. And in some ways, we all find uh, and look for the threats, trying to make sure that we mitigate all the threats before they get there. And so part of what you may be going through is just kind of a natural process for people uh, that are trying to figure out um, you know, kind of how to make sure that they've covered all their bases in life. Uh, people who are naturally that way uh, naturally find themselves caught up, and so then they have a more of a propensity to find something else on anxiety. So generally speaking, how you deal with anxiety in one way is how you deal with, with any anxiety um, I've got some work on that. You can go to thrivologypodcast.com, thrivologypodcast.com. Do a search for anxiety and listen to that because how you deal with anxiety there, that's how you deal with it here. Okay, so change. You say, I've changed, but my partner won't acknowledge his need to contribute to the relationship. How to, to get past these stuck points? 
And you say, I still need to acknowledge that I need to change even more. If that's, if it's what he needs, it'll be like that. And so I'm not quite sure about that, but I think what I hear is you're changing and your partner hasn't yet. And my suggestion is to remember that what you have control over is your change. So work on your change, work on being the best you can be. Don't get caught up in what your spouse is not doing. Um, there is a limit to that. I mean, if they just continue in destructive patterns, at some point you may decide that there is a boundary you're not willing to accept with that. But one of the things that we often get into is kind of a, um, a match of who's actually changing, right? The interesting thing for me is having been in my office long enough for each person to proclaim that they individually are changing, but their spouse is not. And there they are with their spouse who is proclaiming the exact opposite. And many times both are working on some changes, but the other person is not seeing it. Or it's changing something they didn't even notice before anyway. So make sure that you kind of uh, notice that for yourself and you continue working on your process. Okay, and then you say after a long separation, we have a totally different life now. Our lives don't seem to fit together anymore. How do you handle the differences? Um, and so... The fact is that there have been differences all along. You know, one of the interesting things to me is how conveniently we humans pretend for a while that we are just alike. And one day we look over and you go, wow, you changed so much. You're nothing like me now. How'd you change so much? And in reality, you never were together. So the differences aren't an issue. The question is how you're going to blend the different differences. That's a question of conversation, communication, and negotiation. Those pieces will help you put that together. Okay, we are well over when I normally like to end this. So we're out of the, the basic levels of, of the affair questions. Hopefully this has been helpful for you. Uh, hopefully you've gotten some pieces to help you with your process or to prepare you if you think you might be dealing with that in the future. Remember the book, Recovering from the Affair. You can find that at theaffairbook.com or just get it where you like to get books. Also, I mentioned earlier the forgive process at theforgiveprocess.com or grab it wherever you normally get your books. Forgiving is always a part of recovering from an affair. It has to be. Anytime uh, that, that goes on, there has to be forgiveness. Now, here's the thing I want you to really understand about forgiveness. It doesn't mean that somebody's apologized. Remember, I didn't say the apology forgiveness process. It's the forgiveness pro- or the forgive process. It's about how you can forgive what's happened in your life, regardless of whether the person's around and regardless of whether they've apologized. You can still work through that. And if you're trying to figure out how to rebuild your marriage, basically how to get to that place where it is a fair proof again, it's an interesting process because the way you save your marriage is how you'll keep your marriage strong. And that's what I cover in the Save the Marriage system. And you can find that at savethemarriage.com. Grab the system at savethemarriage.com. And make sure you go ahead and sign up for that free week of VIP because I do have the free uh, trainings or the included trainings on boundaries and on standards. And I only offer that free week when you buy the system. It's the only time you can get access to it. You can still join VIP later, but not for that free week. I want to make sure that if you're ready to move forward with that, I reward you by making sure you have extra resources. If you say, no, thank you, I'm not going to try it, that's, that's fine. You've got the system. The system has been powerful enough for lots of people. There's even an audio included on how to recover from infidelity. 
But I would just suggest that it's a free week. Grab that. Also, make sure that you sign up for your free coaching session that's included. It's a, a 20, 15, 20-minute 20 get-started session with one of my coaches. After you buy the system, when you're on the download page, you just hit the big button saying you're ready for coaching. You sign up a form, and a coach will be in contact with you after that. All right, we're out of time, and I wish you the best as you continue your work to save your marriage. Listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.